Well, thanks again for being here at Grace. I'm excited about today. Are we, I hope you're enjoying the service. Have you been joining, enjoying the service so far? I hope so. So good stuff. Yesterday I was here at Upward Basketball, got launched yesterday, and I got to interact with some. Yeah, you could say woo for Upward Basketball. That's all right. Yeah, how many of you were there yesterday? I came in from the backside. The lot was full back there. I came in, hundreds of people in our new facility. Just great. Got to talk to some people and interact. And, and some of the people I talked with, I realized that over the last few years, God has totally transformed their lives. And that pumps me up. And uh, baptism is part of that. We're going to be talking about that today. And I, I hope, hope you enjoy it. And we're just excited about what God's doing, especially about uh, Grace Point in Northwood. We're excited about that. That's, that's happening. But baptism. As we talk about baptism today, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 8. So if you'll grab a, a Bible from the chair rack in front of you or your mobile device and uh, turn to Acts 8. We're going to begin with verse 26. And Luke is writing us. He's telling us about the history of the church in the first century. He's writing from the first century. He's kind of telling us what happened. Here's what he says. Verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying... Go up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And so he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, get up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And so he's reading, he's actually reading from Isaiah 53. It's a a guy from Ethiopia. Back then, Ethiopia was a region south of Egypt. And you have this court official. He's gone to, he's got resources. He has a a scroll of Isaiah, which was an expensive thing to own. He's a treasurer for a kingdom. And he comes up, he obviously knows something about the God of the Jews because he comes to Jerusalem to worship. And now he's heading back. This is just a few weeks after the crucifixion. He's reading an Old Testament, the Bible they had back then, the Old Testament, book of Isaiah. And then he reads this passage about a servant who comes in humiliated, he comes in humiliation, he comes humbly, he's humiliated, and he is slaughtered in an unjust death. And so this Ethiopian official, he's wondering who this is. And this was debated back in the first century, even with Jewish people. Some people said... Well, Isaiah is talking about himself. Some people say, no, he's referring to the whole 
the whole nation of Israel, metaphorically. And then some people said, no, this is about the coming Messiah. The reason that it was a little bit controversial to see him as the coming Messiah is because other passages said the coming Messiah was going to be a king and come in power. But here he comes humbly and he's, he's given up to an unjust death and he's killed. And so he's, he's trying to figure this out. Philip, prompted by the Holy Spirit of God, runs up, catches up to the chariot. He's walking along. Here's the guy reading. People were read out loud back then. And he hears that. And so he says, you don't understand. The guy says, no. And we'll pick it up from there. Verse 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That little verse is not in all your translations. Come back to that in a moment. Next verse says, and he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. So what you have here is... Philip comes up into the, the chariot that this official, he's got an entourage around him. He then explains to this Ethiopian how Isaiah is actually talking about Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. That he came humbly. He came as a servant, but yet he was slaughtered. And I, the wording's kind of tough there in the Old Testament, but basically unjustly. And he was cut off, meaning he had no heirs. He's done. He's killed by an unjust system. And then Philip is explaining, this is what Jesus Christ did, that he came and he shares the gospel. And the gospel is basically what the Old Testament is leading us to when the Old Testament tells us that God created the universe and the world and everything in it, but he also created all of us. But God created human beings differently than anybody else. He created mankind in his image. And that meant he created mankind in a special way in order that we are capable of acknowledging God, being aware of God, being self-aware, also aware of God, and having a relationship with God. But God doesn't want to make it where people have to obey and they have to follow him because that's not a relationship, right? That's not voluntary. That's just, if you're forced to do it, you're just doing it robotically. You have no choice. God made it to where we'd have a choice to love him back. And so he gives people this freedom of choice to follow him and have a relationship and love him back or not. It's the or not that caused the problem. From the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, the first couple to now, every single human being on the planet has chosen to do wrong before God. We've all chosen to do things wrong. God laid down his standard in the Old Testament. He said what's right and wrong. That's what the Ten Commandments are a part of. And if you'll remember some of those, he says, you know, honor your father and mother all the time. Never lie. Never steal. Never commit adultery. Jesus has never even lost. Always keep God first. Never take the Lord's name in vain. 
he's giving us all these commands and we realize that we've all violated some of the, if not all of them, some of these commands. And so we are all under judgment. So here's what I'm saying. The, the Old Testament is teaching us that all of us have done wrong against God. That's called sin. We violated his commands. And so we all deserve separation from God forever. That is the right penalty, the correct and just penalty for our sin. That's all of us. That's me. I'm a sinner and I deserve a separation from God for eternity in hell. That's what I deserve for my sin from God. But even though it's true of everybody, God still loves us because he's a loving God. So he made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. Now, in the Old Testament, it was that they would slaughter sheep, lambs. And they would do that as a temporary covering. And what that was, the sacrificial system, is that they realized that they were sinful before God. And then God said, well, here's what you do in order to be covered for your sin for a short amount of time. You pick out a perfect lamb with no blemish and you kill it. Kind of ugly. And you let it bleed out. And that's the sacrifice. And what, the reason that was so important is because it was teaching, wow, sin is serious. The only thing that can make up for sin is blood, a blood sacrifice. This is big time. It was all taught to help the people understand that sin is so, against God is so serious, it requires blood. It, it, you just can't nod that away. And then, in Isaiah, it's pointing to the Messiah, because of the Messiah, when Jesus comes, then he will end the sacrificial system by being the perfect once and for all sacrifice, rather than these lambs that they had to sacrifice every year and every so often, Jesus would come and completely end that because he's the ultimate sacrifice. God being sacrificed for us, loving us in that way. And that's the go gospel means good news. That's the good news. That's what Philip is explaining to this eunuch. Hey, Jesus came. Hey, this guy, you probably heard about him while you're in Jerusalem. He had just been put to death a few weeks ago. He was crucified. He did that. That's him. He did that for us because he loved us to create a way. And here's the way. Once Christ died for us, that doesn't count for everybody. He died for everybody. But the only way we get that to count for us, accredited for us, is that we have to respond to him in faith. Responding in faith just simply means that we believe that Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God, and that we trust in the fact that his death on the cross is enough to cover my sin. So for me... When I was about 11 years old, I came to understand that. And I realized that I was a sinner, deserved hell, but that God loved me and he made a way. And so I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. That he was, believed that he was the son of God and trusted in the fact that his death on the cross paid for my sins. Why? Because Jesus lived a perfect life. So he was the only one that didn't deserve to die like that. But he did it, and he voluntarily allowed himself to be killed in payment of sins. So that's how we get Jesus to count for us when we respond to him in faith. Now, 
The Ethiopian does that. He responds in faith. And then they're traveling along. And they come to a body of water. And he says, well, what keeps me from getting baptized right now? Why did he say that? That's what we're going to look in today. We're going to look into baptism. And first we want to talk about what is baptism. Secondly, we're going to talk about who should be baptized. And third, we're going to talk about why you should be baptized today if you are a believer and you haven't been biblically baptized before today. Are we ready? Okay, wow, that was pretty good. Yeah, full crowd. All right, so first of all, what is baptism? That's the first question that we want to answer. Baptism really is an outward sign of an inward reality. Because we can come to Christ, we can place our faith in Christ, and we can do that very privately... Baptism is a way of publicly saying we've done that. It's, an, it's a, an outward expression of an inward reality, what's happened in our heart. And, it, and then we do that by immersion. And when we say immersion, that just means underwater. We immerse people underwater. Why? Two reasons we immerse in baptism. One, that's the way they did it in the first century. And two... That's what the word means. First of all, that's the way they did it. We can tell from this story, for example, what's happening here. This government official is leaving Jerusalem and heading down into the heart of Africa. They're on this road. They're still kind of in the Israel area. But the road is a desert road. This is a whole entourage of people. The trip is about 1,000 miles by land. That is hundreds of miles. Now, we all know they're carrying water, right? They're on a desert road. They're heading to Africa. They've got water with them. They had skins for water, you know, what we would call canteens. They carry a supply of water with them for the trip. But the, but the official doesn't say, hey, let's stop right now and get some of this water that we have and, and sprinkle me or pour a little water on me. He waits until they pass a body of water and then he says, oh, here's water. What's keeping me from being... They have water, right? But he sees a body of water. Hey, here's water. What's keep, what keeps me from being baptized right now? Nothing. And so they go down. Now, I, I mentioned there's a verse 37 there where some, some versions have it and some don't. The reason is where he kind of declares his faith. He says, well, if you believe, you can. Yeah, I believe. And he That little verse in there... That's not in the most, the most ancient manuscripts. That doesn't show up till the second century. And so we always say the translation, the Bible is perfect. Our particular translation of the Bible is about 99.9% .9 perfect. And the 0.1% that's different does not affect any doctrine or any belief. It's things like this. And so here we have a verse that goes back, basically, it looks like it came into manuscripts at the, toward the end of the second century. Just knowing that, I want you to hear something. We know with so much confidence what the Bible said in the first century when it was written, 
that we can tell when a verse enters into the text in the second century, we know that happened. This shouldn't make you less confident in the Bible. This should actually make you more confident in the Bible. We know what was in that first century text so well that when a verse like this pops up, Translators have to decide, okay, well, this goes back to the second century. It doesn't seem to be there when the Bible was written in the first century, 100 years before. So we can either leave it out, and then we'll put a little footnote, or we can put it in there, and we'll put a little brackets and say, oh, by the way, oldest manuscripts don't have it. That should make you more confident of the Bible. And by the way, what it says there, confession of faith, that goes back to the second century. So we know 100 years after Christ, this is what they were doing. It's the same thing. They respond in faith. So that's what's happening. We go into the water, we immerse because that's what the Bible says, that's what immersion was. And then we immerse, the second reason is because that's what the word means. Here's what happened. There's a Greek word, baptizo, that means to immerse or to plunge underwater. When they translated the Bible into English, way back when, they decided not to translate this word. They decided to transliterate it. And what that means is, rather than give the English word equivalent of this word, they just turned the Greek word baptizo, they reproduced it in English letters, and they made a new English word called baptism. There was never a word before they translated the Bible. So they made this word baptism. And so now in our day... Baptism to us is a very religious word. It has something to do with religion. But in the first century, baptism, baptized just meant to plunge, to dunk, to immerse underwater. And it was an everyday word. It, didn't, it wasn't a religious word. And so we can see that in other places in the Bible, written in the first century. For example, when Jesus talks about uh, the ceremonial washings of cups and copper pots... And he says, you wash them ceremonially. You wash cups and pots. What are, you, what are you doing to those cups and pots? You baptize. In English, that would be, you baptize these cups and pots. What? You're just putting them underwater. That's all that meant. There's another place in the Bible where the Pharisees are, are talking about Jesus and they're offended because Jesus didn't wash his hands before he ate a meal. He didn't ceremonial wash. And so they're complaining about that. And what are they? Back then, they didn't have running faucets. They plunged their hands into water to wash them. And they're saying, hey, you didn't baptize your hands before you ate the meal. What's up with that? What I'm just trying to say is this was not a religious word. It just meant to put underwater. So those are the two reasons that when we baptize, it's underwater. All the way under immersion. Because it's the way they did it. That's what the word means. Now, next question is, who should get baptized? Well, Scripture is very clear on this. Who should be baptized? It's whoever has become a believer. Not everybody is a believer. Um, you have to come to faith in Christ. But every single Christian who has placed their faith in Jesus should be baptized. If you've received the gospel, if you accepted Jesus into your heart, if you've placed your faith, it all means the same thing. And, here, and here's what it means. What we just talked about a little bit when we were talking about what Philip was explaining to the Ethiopian, just, hey, we're all sinners, the way we say it today. We're all sinners. We all deserve God's judgment because we've done things wrong against God. We cannot make up our wrongs by doing good things because the good things are what he told us to do. That just puts us even. 
And we can't make up our sin. Because when we do good, that's what we're supposed to do already. That doesn't work. It's just like a speeding ticket. If, you're, if, if the speed limit's 35 out here and I'm going 55 and, the, and I get a ticket, I go to court, I'm 20 miles over. It's not going to work for me to say, tell you what, judge, I'll just drive 25 for like three weeks to make up for going 50. That doesn't work. Under the speed limit is what I'm already supposed to do. That doesn't make up for my violation. It's the same with our sin. Doing good things does not erase one sin, not one. So we have, we have to account for all of our sins. And God has already told us what the right punishment is. Why is the punishment so severe? Why separation? Why hell? That seems so dramatic. Because we don't understand who we're sinning against. A perfect, holy, loving God who created us and we owe him everything. So we're all under judgment, but because God loves us, he makes a way. He allows us one and only son, God who exists etern eternally in Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons eternally in community, allows his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth be born very humbly, laid in a feed trough, grow up without sin, never commits a sin, and when he's about 33 years old, voluntarily allows himself to be crucified to pay for our sins. And the way we get that to work for us is what I've already said, is that we respond in faith, meaning we believe who Jesus is, the Son of God, and we trust in the fact of what he's done for us. Same message that Philip preached to the eunuch. Now, so once you believe, and here's what I'm saying. This is the most important decision you ever made. If you haven't made that decision, you're, you're ready to make that decision now, I would just zone out to everything I'm saying right now. Just tune me out. Focus on God. It might help to close your eyes or bow your head, you know, but... You don't have to do that in any way where anybody could know, but just focus on God and just pray to him, admitting that you're a sinner, that you, you deserve punishment, but that, G, that you trust in the fact that Jesus died for your sins and you're asking him to come in your life and help you live it. That's all it means to be a Christian, but you have to make that decision. It's all in faith or belief or trusting in Jesus, only Jesus, nothing else. No ritual, not coming to church, not getting baptized, just Jesus. And you should do that. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. As a matter of fact, Romans 10.9 says, If thou wilt confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm just telling you, just turn to him and get that right. Don't even wait it's the most important decision that you'll ever make. That's also called repentance. That, that's the way Peter said it, first sermon after the resurrection. He's talking to the whole crowd of Jerusalem. He's telling them, you guys crucified the Messiah. You messed up. And they're going, whoa. And they start believing him. And they're saying, well, what do we do now? And he says, repent and be baptized. Repent, repentance means that you change your mind and what follows is a change of behavior. You change your mind about who Jesus is. Oh, 
He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He did die for my sins. And place your faith there. Become a believer. So who should do it? What it is, immersion. Who should get baptized is believers. Again, it's just an outward sign of an inward commitment to Jesus. And then the third question that we're tackling is, why should you as a believer get baptized today? Well, first of all, because it's, it's a public um, statement that you're a follower of Christ. It's a way of publicly declaring your repentance or publicly declaring your faith. I was just explaining that you can stop and, and turn to Christ right now in your heart. Nobody would ever know that right now. So Jesus says the first thing you should do as a believer is to follow him in a public baptism where people can see that you're a believer. That's what we do at church. And so that's why you should do it. It's a public declaration. The second reason that you should do it is that although it's not a requirement of salvation, it is evidence of your salvation. Although baptism is not required in order to, to be a Christian, it shows that you are because that's what God told us to do. Now, I understood this back in high school. Back in high... A little bit of story. Back in high school... I came to a point in my life where I, I had my driver's license and I decided I should only be dating Christian girls. I didn't know that many Christian girls, so, but I knew one. And so, oh, dating. Sorry, date, that's old school. That's where a guy would ask out a girl <laughs> and they would actually go to a movie and, uh, and, like a, and maybe eat something, you know. So it wasn't like now where you hang around in groups and, to, and wait till somebody changes their Facebook status on a relationship. But anyway, it's called a date. <laughs> So we go out on a date, and, then, and so she says, yes, but you have to ask my dad. That never happened before. So I said, okay, you know, I'll ask your dad. And she goes, okay, great, that's great. She said, but let me just tell you a few things about my dad. I'm like, yeah, okay. He says, he's a really large and intimidating man. And I said, okay, all right, she goes, great, you know, yeah, thanks. And she goes, and you still do it? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go ask him. And then she says, and just one more thing, uh, he has a violent temper. Okay, I'm like, well, my dad's pretty big, and he kind of has a temper too. I might be able to handle this, so, you know, okay. And she goes, and just one more thing, when I say violent temper, because you're saying your dad has one too, well, he actually killed a man with his bare hands in the boxing ring when he was in the service. I'm like, oh, Okay. So, how's he feeling about me coming? Does he know I'm coming? I mean, so, I, I go to the house, and I knock on the door. And then he answers, and I go, hello. I'm Kevin, you know, and I introduce myself, and I reach out to shake his hand. This is what I, I remember this like it was yesterday, because his hand was so big, my hand couldn't get around his hand to shake his hand right. You know, I felt like a third grader, you know, it's like, okay. So I shook his hand. But anyway, so we, I think it might have been a double date. You know, we go do the date. A couple weeks later, I'm at her house, and we're hanging around her backyard. And then her parents come out, and they're talking to us. And then their pastor stopped by. And he came into the backyard. And we're all having, all five of us were having a conversation, which it was very awkward because 
I'm, you know, I've never hung around a pastor before. So it's like, wow, not enjoying this at all. You know how it is, pastors. And so I'm there with a pastor. And, uh, and finally, as we're having this group discussion, I'm kind of on the fringe. He turns to me. The topic turns to me. Like, great. And he says, Kevin, have you been baptized? And I said, no, but I am a Christian. He said, you can't be a Christian without being baptized. And I had actually knew a little bit about this from my limited Bible experience. So the first thing I did as I was going to respond to him is first, I looked to see where her dad was <laughs> and whether he was within striking distance, violent temper, kill a man in the ring. And he was actually sitting at a picnic table and I thought it was going to take him a little while to untangle from that table. So I thought, okay, I can risk this. And so then I turned to the pastor and I said, well, actually, no, you can be a Christian without being baptized. He says, no, you can't. And I said, what about the thief on the cross? And then we got in, and then the whole conversation kind of degenerated from there. It was not a great conversation. We agreed to disagree, we'll say. Here's what I'm saying, though. Because baptism is so important, it was assumed by all believers. It was so much that way in the New Testament that now people get, people confuse that it was so important that some people say you have to be baptized in order to even be a Christian. That's, that's not true, but it does illustrate just how important baptism is. It was just assumed. Never in the New Testament do we ever see somebody becoming a believer and not getting baptized if they have an opportunity. The thief on the cross that I pointed out to the pastor, he didn't even have an opportunity to get baptized. I mean, he's, he's dying on a cross. He had no chance for that. That's how important baptism is. Not a requirement, but it's evidence of salvation. And why is it so important? Well, Jesus says it's important. Jesus is the one that tells us to do it. And I know a lot of times people say, Kevin, what's the big deal? You know, if I'm going to heaven anyway, then and getting baptized isn't affecting that, then what is the big deal on baptism? Well, the big deal is Jesus told us to do it. He's not saying if you feel like it, do it. He's not saying if it's convenient, do it. He's not saying whenever you get around to it, do it. He's saying this should follow your faith in Jesus is that you would be publicly baptized as a way of expressing externally an inward reality. That's what he's saying. And by the way, that's why we don't baptize babies. Who should be baptized? Christians. Well, in some Christian religions, they baptize babies. Nowhere in the Bible is a baby baptized. It's not there. Bab baptism is always by dunking underwater after you've placed your faith in Christ. If you've been baptized as a baby, you weren't baptized. Somebody made that decision for you. That's not it. And actually, that, and we try to be very careful about that. That's why typically we don't want to baptize anybody even under middle school age. Because we want to make sure they understand baptism. As a matter of fact, the reason that I was standing in that backyard 
talking to that pastor, saying I'm a Christian and I haven't been baptized, is because I had become a believer and I asked my father if I could be baptized. He, he didn't go to church, wasn't a believer. And he said, no, not until you turn 18. I'm, I forbid you to be baptized. And it turned out that when it, my senior year, when I was 17, I asked again and, and I was baptized before I turned 18, but with his blessing. And, and so then... I'm maybe wrestling with some of what you students might be wrestling with. Okay, God's telling me to do one thing, but maybe my parents might be saying to do something else. That's what I wrestled with. And here's what I came up with. So I was saying, God, what about this? My dad's telling me not to, but you're my heavenly father and you're telling me to do it. And I, I remember praying through that and, and believing that basically God told me or just came to the conclusion that I could do both. That if I just waited, I could do both. And it turned out I didn't even have to wait that long. That even though God was commanding me and he asked me to do this. And my father was telling me not to. But God gave me that father. And that God also told me to obey him. So what we're saying to, to teens is. You should get baptized. But you really should do it with your parents' blessing. We, we want you to get permission. So they know. Does that make sense? So here's where we're at. It, why should you get baptized today? Because that's the way, it, it's really our obedience is how we love God back. Christianity is unique of all religions. Most religions, you obey out of fear. Some religions, you obey out of pride because you're the elite religionist. Everybody else isn't. Christianity is the only religion where we really obey out of love. This is a perfect example. We obey. He tells us to be baptized. We do it. Why? Is it out of fear that we won't go to heaven? No. He's told us if we're Christians, we go to heaven. If we put our faith in Christ, we go to heaven. It's not fear of not going to heaven. It's not fear of going to hell. That's not why we get baptized. And we also don't do it out of pride. Like, well, I'm... I'm super pious, or I'm more spiritual than everybody else. Look what I can do. No, we do it humbly. It's really obedience is just an act of love. We obey God because we love him back. Now, we have some people who have already signed up for baptism today. And uh, if that's true of you, We'd like you to, to just stand up right now and go right out that door under the exit sign. We have some people back there uh, to help you. We have a team to help you out there and kind of direct you. We just want you to be getting ready because we're going to do it right here in the service. And, and by the way, if you're sitting here and you're not signed up, but you're thinking, man, I should have signed up. You might as well just head out that door too. Let's make that happen. Here's what, here's what Jesus said. Think about this. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's tough to hear, isn't it? If you love me, you'll obey my commands. None of us do that perfectly. But he's saying, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And then later, Jesus also says... He tells, he's speaking, he's preaching, and he says, 
Why do, you, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Here's what we learned from that, that if Jesus was preaching and we were talking about baptism, he might be inclined to say, because he did it once, say, you're calling me Lord. Why? You don't do what I say. You don't act like I'm your Lord. Here's what I'm saying. There's no doubt in my mind that in this room right now, there are a bunch of people that you know you've placed your trust in Christ, but you haven't, after that time, been immersed underwater in a public baptism. We want you to fix that today. And just head right out that door. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, well, I didn't come prepared. We're going to make it easy for you. Because you're saying, I didn't bring clothes, I didn't bring a towel, I didn't bring... We've got clothes, we've got shorts, t-shirts, piles of them back there. We've got hair dryers. For some of you, are like, well, I don't have a hair dryer. We got that covered. We got everything. <laughs> Towels, the whole nine yards. We have you covered. Why? Because we want to encourage you to follow God in believers' baptism. So I want you to be thinking about, I want to stand together. We're going to lead in a, we're going to sing together. And as we do that, as you stand, we're going to sing, during this song, if you know you should get baptized and you haven't done that yet, walk right out that door. We have plenty of time. We're, you'll, the, there's pastors behind that door to talk to you, to answer any questions you might have. We just want you, while we're singing, head right out that door and respond to what God wants you to do today.